Hello and welcome to Volleyball State, a look at the sport of volleyball starting in Nebraska and then traveling you around the country in six rotations. My name is Jeff Sheldon. And I'm Lincoln Arneal. And thank you for finding us. If you're a volleyball fan, we hope this is a community that you are really going to enjoy as we build this thing out and take a look around uh, volleyball starting in Nebraska and then branching out all around the country each week. Uh, if you were looking to follow us along online, you can find us at all of the social media sites that the kids are talking about these days. You can find us at Twitter or on Twitter at Volleyball Pod. You can email the show your thoughts, your questions, your criticisms, your ideas, your your pitches to be our first guest at volleyballstate at gmail.com. And also, we are proud uh, part of the Podcast House Media expanding radio or podcasting empire. You can find all the Podcast House Media shows online at podcasthousemedia.com. And if that isn't enough, you can find Lincoln and I um, on the social medias individually. I am on Twitter at by Jeff Sheldon. That's B-Y Jeff Sheldon, S-H-E-L-D-O-N. Lincoln, how, how do people track you down online? You can follow me at on Twitter at, at Lincoln underscore VB, or you can read my articles at huskersillustrated.com. So uh, we're excited to hear. This is episode two. If you want to hear a little bit more about who we are, why, why we are doing this, and kind of what perspective we bring to this, go check out episode one. We talk about that for 10 minutes. We aren't going to repeat that here, but we're glad to have you aboard for episode two. So tonight, what we're going to do, we're going to cover our six rotations. Our first rotation, we'll recap the Nebraska-Creighton match. Uh, the second one, we will talk about Nebraska's matchup against Long Beach State this, this past Saturday night. And then we're about seven matches in for Nebraska's season, so it's about a quarter of the way through the season. So we'll do a quarter quarter season recap, figure out what's going on with Nebraska, good, bad. Then we'll take a look around the country, what's gone on the, this past week. Uh, then rotation five, we'll check in on USA Volleyball and some recruiting news. And then we will close up on our last rotation with a preview of the week to come, matches against Stanford and Kentucky. So that's the that's the path ahead for us. So let's not wait any longer. Yeah, and I'm not going to lie. Rotation one. I'm not going to lie. When we get to row six, all of my attention was on Stanford. Until you brought it up, it was I kind of forgot they were playing Kentucky next weekend, too. But, you know, it, Stanford's coming up on Tuesday night. If you're listening to this on Monday, that's tomorrow night, and we hope we can set that up for you. And then only after that am I going to turn my attention to Kentucky. Lincoln's probably way more uh, way more prepared than I am. But uh, row one, you know, last week, Nebraska – um, won the in-state battle against Creighton. Huskers take down the Blue Jays 3-1. to one. They did drop their first set of the year, losing um, set three to the Blue Jays at the Devaney Center, but after dominant displays in game one and game two, game four, they held off, I'd say, a pretty valiant Creighton comeback. I mean, this is a Creighton team that sort of looked lost early on without their um, their best player, Nora Sis, and then kind of uh, pulled it together, toughened up, uh, put together some impressive performances that we'll talk about here in just a little bit. But Nebraska, uh, too much talent, too much skill, too much um, the, the lead that they got out to was just a little bit too big, and they were able to hold off any momentum that Creighton was trying to steal back near the end of Game 4. Huskers improved to 6-0 with their win against Creighton, and then I don't think history, the history books quite agree, Lincoln. That's either the 20th win that Nebraska has against Creighton all time, or it's the 22nd. And I always remember back when I was covering this team that the two game notes produced by Nebraska and Creighton always had that discrepancy. It's like, it's like the, the Army Minnesota football games from the 1903. Nobody can quite agree on who won that last one. 
I, I thought it was, I always thought it was 20, 20th straight win over uh, 20 no against Creighton. There's other numbers bouncing around out there. You know, if Rob Anderson ends, ends up listening to the show, he can DM one of us. But I think it's, uh, there, there's matches that happened back in the seventies, I think, that people aren't sure if they were, you know, official or not. And, you know, I'm not sure. Nebraska still has not lost to Creighton, but I mean, it is a super competitive rivalry. Um, has been the last few years. Nebraska was able to put this one away. Um, Creighton, you feel bad that they didn't get to put their their whole best team on the floor with Norris, yeah. who also was out um, today. We're recording this on a Sunday night in their their bounce back win over Iowa State, which was a really good win for Creighton. But um, the Huskers, you know, ended up looking looking like the definitively the better team in this one. Yeah, that's a really kind of the unfortunate part too, is the whole complexity of the match changed. Once you knew that Nora Sis was not going to play, I mean, she was averaging, I think, right around four kills per set. I mean, Biggie's player of the week, I mean, preseason Biggie's player of the year, too. And she's the engine that powers that, uh, powers the Creighton offense and really does a lot for them. One of their best passers, one of their best servers, as well as their top attackers. So it just, it really changed what Creighton was able to do. And I mean, I think that's a large part of why they look so, so discombobulated and just out of, out of whack to start. And they changed some of the rotations too. I mean, Ava Martin, who was their secondary attacker, took Sissa's spot in the rotation that changed what rotation she was in and her passing alignment, things like that. So it really kind of altered everything that Creighton was doing. Yeah. Nebraska really overpowered. You use the word power and, and that's what we saw in games one and two from Nebraska. Huskers won game one, despite just putting down seven kills. Uh, part of that had to do with their block and, and Creighton being out of sorts on offense. Creighton gave Nebraska 13 errors in game one. The Huskers came up with six blocks. Huskers offense really gets cranking in game two. They hit 429. So it was what, 25-9, 25-13, I believe, that uh, Nebraska went to the intermission with the 2-0 lead. And that is when things got a little bit interesting. Um, Creighton bounces back. They they hit better than 300 in game three, become the first team all season to take a set off Nebraska. Um, and then the, the Huskers come back in game four and are able to to close it out. Yeah, and Nebraska was also the last team in the country to drop a set. They Every other team had dropped a set until Nebraska dropped this one against Creighton too. And what Creighton kind of did is they went back to their base. Uh, they put Martin back in her usual spot at L2. Uh, but the, really the other standout was uh, Destiny Me. Madame Simpson, who's an Omaha Westside graduate, she really stepped up. She kind of filled that outside hitter role. She led Creighton. I think she, she well, she finished with 13 kills, uh, hit 242, but really kind of uh, this was her first big match to step out and shine. And she, I thought she did pretty well, and she looked pretty good, like a legitimate D1 attacker who just as a freshman was able to fill in that role and should be a nice piece for Creighton to work with in the future. And she really kind of helped power that. Uh, resurgence in game three Nebraska made a little bit of a late run and kind of but it was they dug themselves too big a hole with some airs and uh just I mean they had seven hitting airs that set and uh that was the most they had of anything and hit 207 so it really kind of just struggled and allowed them to go yeah, we can get into some of the the players from Creighton uh, that Im- that impressed us here in a little bit, but you know we would we would be remiss if we didn't go through the Nebraska performances first that that moved the Huskers to six and zero on the year. I thought this Lincoln, I thought this was the best match that I'd seen Nebraska play uh, this season. 
their pin hitters were bringing it. There were no tipping. There were no roll shots in this one. It was it was straight power that the Huskers rolled out with. Um, the star of the show on last Wednesday night, Merritt Beeson, the transfer from Florida, had 17 kills on 37 swings. Uh, some errors piled up in there late in the match, which I think you're going to see from her. I mean, she's not someone that's going to come out and, and hit 325 uh, you know, on the season. But if you just look at her kill percentage, which is what they do in international volleyball, they just take the errors out of it, and it's your your kills divided by your swings. Uh, Beeson put down kills on 46% of her swings on Wednesday night, which is really, really outstanding. Um, Lindsay Krause, also, this was the best match that she had played uh, so far in the season. Mm-hmm. Um, 12 kills for her on 478 hitting, which, you know, you're going to take that pretty much any night. Um, and Andy Jackson, the, the freshman middle blocker, who just seems to do nothing but put down highlight real kills. She only had five kills on the night against Creighton, but almost all of them were, were denting in the floor types of kills. So those were uh, those are the players that led uh, Nebraska's offense. And then um, I don't have her numbers right exactly in front of me, but Allie Badenhorst, who came in in game three and really, um, or excuse me, game four and, and closed things out. Yeah, she. I mean, she even had a token appearance. She had a, she had one kill. Oh, I'm um, sorry, I'm confusing that, that match with Long Beach State. Long Beach excuse State. me. But what I thought was the other big player that uh, really kind of gave Creighton fits was Becca Alex. She's kind of been struggling a little bit on offense. She really, she 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 did not have any kills against Omaha and didn't get a kill till the third set against K State. But she had seven kills on ten swings. So really, kind of, I, I think they went to her with some of those quick attacks in the middle and got her going. Uh, got her going early, and I think. I think that's a little bit, I mean, Nebraska passed a little bit, but I think a lot of this goes to Bergen Riley was able to pick out who had the hot hand. And she really, I mean, I thought this was one of the best sets, especially the first two sets. I mean, I think the third set and the fourth set, a little bit different feel to it, but the first two sets is Nebraska played as well as they have uh, this season, especially that second set. Um, and Bergen Riley really showed kind of what she can do. And she had some back sets there that it's like, how did she get the ball out there, but found her hitters, put her hitters in good position to win. And, to beat the block. So Bergen Riley, 42 assists, and really, really kind of ran the offense the way it should be run. Yeah, if, if we're sitting here talking about three or four different attackers that had good nights, what that also tells you is that your setter had a really good night. And, folks, um, if you're a Nebraska volleyball fan, you you probably realize it by this point, but Nebraska has themselves a setter. And, yes, she's a freshman, but she's a pretty darn good one. Um, what really impressed me, honestly, about Bergen Riley in the win over Creighton was I – I watched the match a couple times. I didn't think Nebraska passed that well. I thought Creighton was really aggressive on their serves, um, especially after game one. And Nebraska had Bergen Riley running back to the 10-foot line all night. And Nebraska still hit 305 as a team. And that tells you that your setter had a pretty good night. Even if she had to do a little bit of extra running, she was putting her hitters in great position and just kind of the praise that flows out of that program that we've heard from, from John cook and, and from Kelly Hunter. And, um, you know, you, we'll talk about the long beach state match in a little bit, but Tyler, Tyler Hildebrand highlighted her um, in the post game afterwards. Bergen Riley is the real deal. And for as long as that she is Nebraska setter, you know, good things are going to happen to that program. So the Huskers hit three Oh five. They didn't pass that well. Um, at least in my opinion, maybe some some more educated eyes would tell me I'm an idiot. But um, anytime you hit 305, you know, the the pass set kill, something in there is working, and um, Bergen Riley deserves a lot of credit for that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that's what you saw from her. And I, but you talked a little bit about the serve receive there, too. I mean, Nebraska's passing wasn't that great. I mean, they only gave up two aces, and I think that's 
that's key. They they kept the ball in play rather than miscommunication. We've seen a couple of miscommunications. They were able to cover most of those. And both of those uh, aces were by Creighton were attributed to Merritt Beeson. And they she only had three service receives and two went for errors. So uh, not good on her part. But I think the key number to look at for Nebraska serve receive is a lot of teams are targeting Harper Murray as a freshman. Mm-hmm. Because you don't want to serve Laney Choboy. You don't want to serve Lexi Rodriguez. You're mm-hmm. going to go at Harper and that. And she uh, she got 19 service uh, serves at her and didn't have any air. So that's a good sign from from uh, Harper on that. Yeah, I think we talked about this last week, too, in in our first episode. But it, it makes all the sense in the world from a strategic standpoint for for other coaches to to serve at Harper Murray. One, you're trying to wear down one of Nebraska's top attackers. You're trying to send the ball to a freshman who's got a lot of other things to worry about. And, you know, it's it's what John Cook would do is, uh, you know, serve the freshmen and see how they can hold up over the course of the year. And so it will be interesting to me to see what Harper Murray looks like and serve receive um, as we move into October, November. Are there things you can do to, to hide her if you need to and serve receive? But you need one of those pins mm-hmm. to be a pretty good passer. And honestly, Murray's really impressed me by how well she's handled it so far. You know, your, your teams are going to pick on Murray. They're going to pick on Merritt Beeson, most likely, as your as your six rotation pins. Um, I, I don't think you can pass with two with um, with Alexi Rodriguez and Laney Choboy. At least Nebraska hasn't in the past done a ton of that. I don't think so. They did um, a little bit last year. I think they put Cubic and or Maddie Cubic and Lexi Rodriguez because you're playing a, a six a, a six two, and you have you always have your setter in the back row, so you try to hide them a little bit. But right. Uh, but yeah, is that that's more the exception? You want to have three three people back there reserving the receiving those serves. And I was really impressed by how aggressively Creighton served. You know, they they didn't back off from the service line. They probably you know I think rightfully figured their only way to to stay in that match was to was to serve aggressively. And if you pile up a couple errors, then then that's just sort of the cost of doing business. But they had to do something to get Nebraska out of system because um, with the way that Krause and Beeson and Harper Murray were just teeing off um you know creighton creighton's modus operandi is they they play really good back row defense i think they lead the country or led the country as of last week in digs uh per set um they they don't pile up a lot of blocks and they didn't on wednesday night so you know they they it can't just turn their back row into a shooting gallery and so they have to get you off the net you say you're saying this top 10 they they fell to six is what they fell to so yeah they're up there and they're one of the top digging teams in the nation so yeah, um, that's that's what Creighton tried to do to stay in the match. And then you know, volleyball is is one of the unique and great things about it is it's not like in basketball where you can fall behind by twenty in the first quarter and the game's kind of over. Creighton got their lunch served to them in, in games one and two, came back and won game three, and then there's a time in game four where you're like, oh man, is this is this going to go five again? Because you mentioned the freshman from Westside earlier, uh, Destin Dean, the damn Simpson. Had a great match stepping in for uh, for for Norris Sis and the player honestly on Creighton's team that really impressed me the most was their setter Kendra Wade. Mm-hmm. I I thought there were times on Wednesday where she was the best player on the oh, yeah. floor. Um, Creighton actually passed pretty well. I thought they were getting her really tight to the net, which let her be aggressive and attacking. She had four or five of those little over the shoulder dumps. It's my favorite setter attack where like it's it's a total sleight of hand thing. Uh, nobody ever really sees it coming. And she was to keep. She was able to keep Nebraska off balance a little bit and and get the ball to um, Ava Martin and Destadine the Dam Simpson, who as the match went along, started to put some balls away. Yeah, and that John Cook had very high praise for uh, Kendra Wade after the match. Called said that she should be an All American the way she played. I mean, she really was kind of the one 
one piece that kept Creighton in that match after they kind of got their the win knocked down those first two. I think she had she had five kills on seven attacks as a setter. I mean that's the efficiency you want, and to get five from mm-hmm. from her is I mean that's more than a kill per set. That's kind of the aggression you want from a setter. But like you said, every she I don't think Nebraska picked up on her her moves at all. Like it, it's just that quick flick of the wrist over the head. And I think she had one mm-hmm. natural dump where she kind of did a mm-hmm. it would have been a hook shot with her right hand. Um, but yeah, just very deceptive, very good timing and balance and good feel for the game. So Nebraska really kind of did their best against her and she, and she kind of away kept Creighton close and kept them battling. So, uh, I mean, um, they, Creighton, Creighton did hit 355 in that third set that they won. So they, they put together some good offense there. I mean, the, the number that, that they finished the match with just over 100 doesn't really impress you until you put it in the context of Creighton became the first team all season to to break 100 against Nebraska. Huskers still lead the country in opponent hitting percentage, but you know, I think Creighton hit like negative 250 in game 1 and and were able to to scratch it back over 100 actually shows that they played pretty decent in in games 2, 3 and 4, but Huskers win that one. Um in front of we we had a record attendance at Devaney yes. Center. Yes, Nebraska is just breaking all sorts of attendance records too. This is Devaney Center since the reconfiguration from 10 years ago. Uh 8656 is the new record. Uh, it should, I don't know if it comes with an asterisk or not, but they did add 300 seats to top the, uh, the West end and the East end of the, uh, of that upper mm-hmm. level. So they added about three, 400 seats there. So no asterisk there. They, the no, stadium they got bigger. The yeah, the stadium got, got a little bigger. bit bigger. So it beats the, uh, Stanford match when there was one versus two in, uh, 2019 when Stanford came in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it beat it by, it was less than 50. I forget the exact number, but it was less than 50 that it beat it. But a new device. So twice they said the new, college volleyball world record and then they set the new Devaney Center record in the span of what was that uh a less than a week. And and was it it was the same night that that UNK took back the division two attendance record, right? They yes. they for their match against Peru State, it was like thirty no, it was four thousand. No, they get four thousand and three. So it's nice symmetry with the uh, <laughs> world record is ninety two thousand and three. Carney set a record of four thousand and three to get the D two division uh division two I wonder if regular season record. You think, uh, I guess it was an exhibition, so it didn't technically count. It would have been interesting to see Carney try to figure in the, the volleyball day in Nebraska crowd in like their final season average. They're like, wait, how did UNK average 12,000 fans a match? Um, <laughs> the but, arena only holds five. I don't know what the deal is. Yeah, exactly. Well, congratulations to, to Rick Squires and his crew out there taking back the, the division two record. Anything else, Lincoln, you want to add on, uh, on Nebraska Creighton? No, it's good. Nope. I think it, it's good. Good rivalry. I mean, the fans. I was also surprised how of that fan crowd, how little of it was blue. I mean, yes, Nebraska is mm-hmm. always sold out, so it's hard to get season tickets or individual game tickets. But there was, if there was a couple dozen, I mean, there was less than a hundred for sure. But there mm-hmm. was not much blue in the stands, so that was the one surprising thing. I mean, usually those Creighton fans find a way at secondary marks to get in there, but it was a very red crowd. Mm-hmm. So and you know Creighton bounced back on uh, on Sunday with a with a nice win over Iowa State. Um, Iowa State's first loss of the year when when Creighton beat them on Sunday. Let's move on to row two. That was uh, Nebraska's second match of the week. Huskers beat Long Beach State, sweep them, and you hit a season high 393. So not bad when you put together a couple decent offensive performances going into a big week against uh, a couple of ranked teams. Five Huskers hit 333 or better, once again, led by Merritt Beeson's 10 kills. This was another match. Lincoln, I thought that Bergen Riley played really well. If you look at the statistics. Merritt Beeson had nine. 
Oh man, I must have misread the box score when I typed up the show notes. But I, if if I remember this right, it was like ten nine nine seven were were kind of the numbers. It was it was a really balanced attack, which once again shows you that uh, that Bergen Riley um, is doing her job. This match really wasn't that close. You you had blowouts in one and two. Uh, it was tight midway through game three until the Huskers, you know, I think went on uh, a run once you got past fifteens in game three to to pull away in that one. But, um, you know, if you were worried about a letdown after the, the Creighton match on Wednesday, you know, three days later, the, the Huskers um, pretty much put any worries about that to bed with, with a sweep of former Husker Tyler Hildebrand, who I always enjoyed talking to when he was in the program and they've got a great win this season already against Texas. And, you know, you could tell that that's a really skilled team. Like most of your West coast schools are like, they can run fast. They can usually pass well. They're probably a little undersized, but um, you know, they could do some things and, and Nebraska just kind of took them apart. Yeah. Nebraska's block really kind of affected uh, what Long Beach wanted to do. Nebraska finished only just with nine blocks, but there were rallies where Nebraska was getting their hands on three or four attacks and just sending it back and frustrating Long Beach. And they were trying to figure out a way to get, just get ball over the net and, and that led to a lot more of their errors. I mean, they had 20 errors. Uh, they had, they finished, Long Beach finished with 25 kills. 15 of those came in the third set. So they just struggled early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe the most impressive part of Nebraska, they had 11-0 run in that second set that really blew things out of the water. Laney Choboy was back there serving for uh, 10 of those points, but 11-0 run really kind of uh, just to get that many serves in a row, very impressive, good concentration. And then the Nebraska defense, uh, held up his end of the bargain. And, and again, it seemed like, again, Bergen Riley could do no wrong and find she found the right hitter and everyone was hitting. Uh, we got to see, got to see some good mix, mix and matching. Uh, Beck, Alec Krause, uh, both played the first two sets and Allie, Allie Baynorris came in. Uh, she, this was the match you were thinking of earlier. She yeah. had six kills on eight swings. So she really came in that third set. And that's the best we've seen her play this year. Well, they've really shown a commitment, and I think John Cook mentioned this uh, after the Creighton win. Like, they are committing to uh, rotating players in, uh, and sometimes that's tricky in volleyball because they're, volleyball, I've always said, is, is the one sport where there is no garbage time. Like, you, you can't just play the kids in the fourth quarter when you're up by four touchdowns and um, and, and everything's going to be fine because momentum can, can flip just like that. And if you're up 2-0, you lose game three. Uh, all of a sudden the team gets confidence game four game five can be a dogfight. one thing I want to spend a little bit of time though Lincoln talking about that Nebraska floor defense this is something that's in the DNA of the program you know we both know it John Cook has talked about it a ton that that he is a serve block and defense coach and one of the things that is usually slow to come I feel like with some of the freshmen can be um, just the intensity of playing floor defense every night there were times on uh, on Saturday against Long Beach State. The one play I'm thinking of in particular, um, you know, Bergen Riley, who we talked about last week, still has a little ways to go as a to improve as a back row defender. Had a one arm dig that went backwards. Harper Murray basically chased it down into the second row um, past the end line, and and Lexi Rodriguez was able to send a free ball back. the The point ended with uh, I think on the next possession by Long Beach State, they hit out. So the Huskers just kind of willed their way to a point and. It's just so deflating to to an attack when you feel like you can't get a ball down. It's like, you know, how, how Japan or Thailand always beats these teams on the international level is you feel like you have four, four swings in a possession and you can't get a ball down. And then finally you get frustrated and you hit it out and they get the point 
anyway, I, I thought that Nebraska's, you know, younger players really were impressive um, in the floor defense. Yeah, and that starts with, and I think that's it's an extension of what Lexi Rodriguez does. I mean, she can do such amazing things. And I was listening to, she was on Terry Pettit's podcast uh, this week, great interview with that. But meant, he, Terry Pettit mentioned that Lexi's covering more of the floor too. So I think Lexi's owning that back row, setting that example, setting that leadership and other people send off. And of course, it does not help to have, uh, it helps to have Lainey Choboy back there, who is one of the most fiery uh, volleyball players that I've seen in a while. Uh, that she gets after it. She set the tone for that back row too, where Lexi Rodriguez may be more of a get the job done, make some impressive plays, get up, smile. Oh, well, that's just me. Lainey Trobo will get up, pump her fists, get excited, yell something at the crowds, get them going too. She really kind of sets that tone for that, that back row defense. And it's a good complement of personalities between the two of them that are really driving what Nebraska wants to do. How, how many rotations? And I'm sorry for putting... Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. You on the spot if you don't know this off the top of your head. How many rotations is Choboy in for? Three. In she, plays, she plays back row for Krause. So Krause plays front row, and then Choboy comes in. Uh, Krause did serve to start the season, but Choboy's kind of taken over that role um, mm-hmm. as of late. So she plays the back row for Krause, and then Krause comes back in for the front. You mentioned that Choboy served that uh, most of that 11-0 run against Long Beach State. You know, the other player we saw come in and serve and play back row against Long Beach State was Kennedy Orr. And, you know, I sort of did a double take at this when she came in. This was – so Kennedy Orr is the junior setter um, out of the, the Minneapolis area, was competing – with um with Bergen Riley to be the starting setter at the start of the year, Riley won that job, and and then Orr did not get any time in Nebraska's first six matches. She comes in against Long Beach State and actually I thought played really well as a as a back row you know a defensive specialist. She didn't come in to set out of the back row like a six two. She had some some outstanding diving digs, which you know is really impressive considering we're talking about a player who's had some problems with her knees, multiple knee injuries over the last couple of years. Were you surprised at all that, that she came in against Long Beach State? Because, you know, there were there was some speculation that maybe she's headed for a redshirt year. Yes. I mean, so she came in and served for the two middle blockers. Lexi Rodriguez's libero served, so I think, I think for Becca Alec. And then uh, in the past, Maisie Bozinger had come in, and she'd been the serving specialist. And Maisie has a very good jump float serve. Uh, but so we were asking the program, or we asked John Cook the last week, I mean, What's the plan? I mean, especially after they did, they did not get into volleyball day in Nebraska, you figure that's an experience. That if you're going to play this season, that's mm-hmm. where you get them some floor time just so they can experience that. But neither her nor Caroline Jurovicious got in and played. So you're wondering, is Ken Dior going to redshirt? I mean, what kind of conversations are you having? 
John said that they're mm-hmm. talking about it. And apparently she had a really good week in practice and, and she's a lot better server. I mean, last year, I mean, she didn't serve a lot, but as part of the six, two, when she was in, she had mm-hmm. 27 service errors. So she did have some falls, but she's really improved. Um, we saw some really good serves from her too, that were just getting over the tape and then diving at mm-hmm. the end of the court. So I, I, yes, I was a little bit surprised to see, see her come in, but she really owned it. Like you said, she was only in for one rotation because after she serves, then she comes out and Lexi Rodriguez can come back in because she can't serve twice. Um, mm-hmm. But even in just that one rotation for the entire match, she had five digs, which mm-hmm. one shows that, that she's doing good with her serve and continuing to serve. And two, playing good defense so let's let's give a little bit more kind of added context like why would this matter that um that kennedy or you know doesn't play for the first six matches we think she might be headed for a red shirt she has you know counting this season she has two seasons of college eligibility left and you know she came into nebraska as the top setting recruit in the country and and just has not been able to grab that starting job and so now with bergen riley coming in you know you you can read the writing on the wall if you have a true freshman who comes in and wins a starting job. If you really want to play, you really want to be a starting setter somewhere, maybe you figure it's not going to be here at Nebraska. And so if she had redshirted this year, that preserves a year of eligibility that if she wanted to look for a different place to continue her college career and try to win a starting job, she'd have two seasons to do so. And now just the simple act of playing in one match, even if she doesn't play in another match all season long, and I imagine she will, but if she doesn't, that entire year of eligibility is gone. It's not like football where you can play in four games and and still preserve a redshirt year. So now Kennedy Orr is, um, I don't know, the, maybe the right way to put it. She, she's here. Uh, she's going to be here all season. She's probably going to be here her whole career. Um, and, and what role she sort of ends up with uh, at Nebraska, I think, is still to be finalized. But, you know, one thing I remember John Cook always saying when I was kind of around the program all the time was that the best six servers are going to play, whoever those six servers are. And and if Kennedy Orr has a really good serve, if she's out serving Maisie Bosiger in practice, then then I don't think Nebraska has any qualms about putting her out there as long as they've had that conversation with her and said, this is what we feel the best role for you is on this team. And everything I've ever heard about Kennedy Orr is that she's a very good teammate. She loves being in Lincoln. Uh, her teammates really like her. And I think she was getting dapped up on the sideline after um, you know a couple of those digs. But, you know, I think a lot has to – that speaks very highly of her, I think, Lincoln, if, if this is a role that she's accepted and this is a role we're going to see her in the rest of the year. Yeah, she's been a very good teammate. You heard a lot, especially about Volleyball Day in, in Nebraska. I mean, the one quote that John Cook uh, kept mentioning is, today the impossible is possible. That came from a note that Kennedy Orr wrote him. And Kennedy Orr apparently wrote notes, handwritten notes to all of her teammates about that. She's big on relationships, makes great, uh, has, has good communication and talks to a lot of her teammates. She's, she's a very good chemistry piece in this team, so... Um, if she's bitter about losing that setter battle, it is not shown. She continues to show up, put the work in, and be a good teammate and be an asset to this program. And I, th- I don't know if this is the reward for her doing that, but uh, but she's kind of she's still in the battle and still. I mean, do you mm-hmm. do you see her being used at setter at all? I mean, barring how do you see? Is this the role yeah. for her this this year? Well, I think uh, I mean everyone needs a backup setter, right? Like who knows what could happen tons of things could happen with Bergen Riley she get hurt she could have a night where she's sick you know something the backup setter can come in and play 
um, for for any number of reasons, just like your your backup quarterback. So you need one. But for, as far as a role that you anticipate someone playing regularly, yeah, if she can stick serves, if she can come in in a rotation and, and dig some balls, and from what my memory tells me, a couple of those sh- balls that she dug were were pretty much shots from Long Beach State. I was like, wow, that, she got up a rocket. Um, one thing too that that you know it occurs to me, she's been in the program. This is her third year. This is a Nebraska team with no seniors on it. And so the juniors are are sort of the big sisters. I mean, Merritt Beeson was here six months, and she was named a captain. Um, and Kennedy Orr is another junior on this team. This is a team of freshmen and sophomores uh, right now. And, you know, when uh, what strike me is, is Tyler Hildebrand. He he noticed that in his postgame comments uh, and had some pretty high praise for, for these kids that are yeah. winning all these matches for Nebraska. Yeah, he came into the postgame press conference, and, I mean, he – he was around the program in 2020 and 2021 when he was associate head coach. So he's very familiar. And that's when all of this current class of freshmen committed during, during that summer. Uh, So Tyler was very involved in the recruiting process. He got to watch and recruit and scout, develop that relationship with Bergen Riley because he was kind of the offensive coordinator back then. And he said, he talked to the Bergen's parents for five minutes before the match because he knows them very well. Um, He called, I mean, he, he said that Bergen could be one of the best setters to come to Nebraska um, based on what he's seen from her right now, I mean, she has a lot of potential. Um, that's me a little bit of forecast on his part, his yeah. part, but, uh, to come in, start as a true, true freshman and be at the level she's at said. And that, that was his, that was his second stint at Nebraska too. Cause he yeah. was an assistant on the 20, the 2017 title team. So he would have been around Maddie Kubik in the, their early parts of, of her career. Hunter play. So too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, Tyler, I'm always going to listen to what Tyler says about offense because I remember what a great job he did um, with uh, Ani Albright on that 2017 team. And and they watched a lot of tape and Tyler was was showing her tape of of undersized men's hitters in in their international play. He was showing her like Polish and Hungarian hitters and said, these are guys that are four inches taller than the blockers that they're going up against, just like you are. And and kind of helped Ani develop into a player that at the end of the 2017 season, in the Final Four, she was playing on an All-American level. And so, yeah, I think if if Tyler Hildebrand is is saying that this is some of the best talent he's seen in a while, then I think that's that's pretty high praise. Yeah, that was his quote. This is one of the best Nebraska teams he's seen in quite a while as well, too. So um, he also had very high praise for Harper Murray. Said she was by far the best player that they saw in that entire class. Um, and then just is really impressed with the development he's seen from Andy Jackson as well, too, even throughout, throughout a uh, Lawrence Difference connection, too. I mean, Andy Jackson is athletic and makes that slide look so smooth, which really kind of brings back memories of what Lauren was able to do. And he compared her to that freshman freshman year, Lawrence Difference. So mm-hmm. she can continue to build, get stronger and um, develop. I mean, that, that, I mean. Throwing out those comparisons, that's some big names that he's comparing him to, those girls to at, at Nebraska. Mm-hmm. So, um, again, but like it's coming from Tyler. He's not, I don't think he's full of a lot of hyperbole, but it means something when he says those words. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I mean, I, as we're going to move into rotation three now, kind of uh, seven matches into the season. The biggest storylines, the biggest things that jump out at us uh, about Nebraska. And to me, it, it is that freshman class. I mean, every one of them, you can see why they were maybe the best ranked recruit at their position coming into the season. And we've talked about her uh, a little bit already, ready, but, you know, Bergen Riley is now the second straight true freshman to come in 
and and earn the setting job at Nebraska after after Nicklin Hames and Nicklin set that team to the national championship match where they lost to Stanford um, in in 2019. But uh, Bergen Riley is just she's coaches will tell you what what an incredibly hard job it is. It's just like a true freshman coming in and winning the quarterback job to come in and build a chemistry and a connection with four or five different hitters like Riley has. And, and it just kind of makes it seem so easy. Um, what are the things that impress you the most? You're, you're someone who, who has spoken to her, who is around the team more than I am now. What, what are the things that jump out to you about Bergen Riley and, and what has made her so successful here? I think what Bergen I think comes as advertised is she is calm, cool, and collected. It takes a lot to rattle her. Um, just even in an interview, she's very, she thinks about the question, gives a very well thought out answer. Is not going to say anything too controversial or too out there. Um, she's just very even keel. And I think you want that from your setter because there's going to be mistakes. There's going to be times where a block kind of block, hits, lines up and blocks a hit. So um, the mistakes will be made, but her ability to see the big picture and kind of stay level throughout that, I think is her biggest asset as a setter really uh, lends itself well. I mean, we, we've seen, Nicklin Haim played with a lot of emotion and that was, she relied on that too, but Bergen is calm and kind of goes about it a different way. It, it works for her and kind of that's her style. And so uh, I think that that's one of the things that really impressed with me with her uh, is her ability is to shake off adversity and move on to the next point. And then she, I, I've seen this a lot of times. One, if a hitter has a hitting error, hits it long, hits it into a block, she will go back to them very quickly, get them a next chance, get them back on track, get their confidence back up. So that's what she's done really well, too. And, and Lincoln, you put together the list that I had asked for here. Like how many other freshman starting setters are there? And the one that immediately came to mind uh, this season in college volleyball, Ella Swindle, who is another one of the top setters in the in the 2023 class. She's at Texas. She's a she's a big setter. She's six foot three, and so she's running the Longhorns offense as they're trying to defend the national title. And then we've got a couple more big name volleyball programs who are who are running freshmen out there to run their offense. Yeah, you look at, and I kind of compared the who's running offense versus the uh, prep volleyball's top top setters that are in their top 50. I mean, Riley was the third overall prospect and the number one setter. Um, Ashley Mullen was the second uh, sis, uh, sister of Abigail Mullen, who's Nebraska recruiting target. But oh, yeah. uh, Ashley Mullen, they're running a 6-2 out at UCLA. Um, and so she's she's splitting duties, but still as a freshman, is able to go out there. So she was number two. And then Swindle was number three. Uh, Texas is only hitting 227 this year, so that's kind of maybe why they've looked a shocking. More, they've looked a little more human this year and kind of. Well, like, Texas hit what last year? Texas led the country in attack percentage, and I think they were, they were probably about 100 points higher. They were yeah, above 300 for sure um, mm-hmm. last year. Um, but then in, uh, in in the Big Ten, Mia Tuman, uh, she was the was it one two three four five six seven eight I think eighth number 42 overall prospect at Ohio State. Um, Buckeyes have kind of they're going through a they they're a very young school yes they, they lost still, a lot of transfers Emily Londot still there uh Riley Raider still there but they're very young as well um they're hitting 232 there um yeah so then maybe then then the other one Taylor Anderson at Purdue Purdue kind of had a little bit of a disaster their starting setter from last year blew out her knee oh no at the, right at the end of their spring season and was kind of was forced to medically retired so uh, that pushed her into maybe a little bit sooner than they would have liked to get her get her starting, but she's doing she's doing pretty well. At, I mean, mm-hmm. at, at Purdue too. So there's a number of 
of um, then the only other one I found that that's starting in the top fifty is Kenneth Phelan at at uh, Florida State also running a six two system. So they, they look at all the kind of the six of those that are uh, starting running program. The two that have the best hitting percentage are all part of six twos, which is a little bit surprising. But they also have a uh, they also have another another setter to kind of help mm-hmm. help teach them the ropes as well. If if there's any freshman setters we missed out there, please please hit us up online at the show volleyball state at gmail.com or uh, at volleyball state on Twitter. You can, you can correct us all season long for the things that we missed. I tried um, I looked at the top 50 recruits. And that's where I started. And kind of, there, there's my base. Hey, you did so much more research on that question <laughs> than I did. I'm like, I know Ellis Swindle and Bergen Riley. And so uh, those are the ones I'll talk about. Um, the, the other kind of, I would say strengths of Nebraska that we can talk about at the quarter season, Mark, Andy Jackson, who just hits balls in places that they are undefendable. Uh, she's, tall enough and can jump high enough to hit over your block. And then she can create the angles where she's basically hitting it down at the 10 foot line. A couple of those that I remember seeing against Creighton and Long Beach state. It's like, Oh yeah, you can't defend the ball when it is hit that hard to that spot. Uh, so she's hitting 571 on the year. She's still leading the country in attack percentage. I'm sorry. I put you on the spot there. She, she is either the national leader or one of the top five um, in, in hitting oh, she's percentage. Fallen. Hitting. She's now 12. What? She's, She's hitting 500. She had that Creighton match okay. was so so against her. She had. Lost. I must have written this down uh, after. Um, she after was. She was in the top three before this last week. Okay, so so Andy Jackson and she's. Do I have this right? She's the M two, right? She's not the M one. Yep, Becca Alec is M one. Right, so she's she's up in the. She can hit those slides. Um, is in more of a position to to hit those slides while Alec seems like she's attack getting more of her attacks from in front of the setter. And yeah, what I've really been impressed by with Andy Jackson is just her ability. She is so quick that she gets the ball. Like you think, oh, here comes a block that's going to close on her on that slide, mm-hmm. but she can get there and she gets so many of her kills by hitting between the block because she can get up and then send the ball in that little cross, cross, back cross court before the blockers can get there. And just again, just so quick. And that it helps that timing she has with Bergen Riley. We talked a little bit about developing that relationship with setters too. It does help that Bergen Riley has played with Harper Murray, with Andy Jackson, mm-hmm. even with Caroline Jurovicious on the junior national teams too. So they they kind of had a little bit of a relationship before they got to Nebraska. So that helps a little bit. But Andy Jackson is just so fun to watch with how quick she is and how high she can jump. I'm I'm worried she's going to get a ball in the face one of these times when she's going up for the block and she just jumps too high. So. Mm-hmm. Um, the other the other strengths that I wanted to hit is just um, you know. Uh, the, the new pin hitters that Nebraska brought in this season, Merritt Beeson and, and Harper Murray, uh, you know, neither of those I would say are, have, are, are eye popping percentages, but they are the main go-to players on offense right now. Uh, Merritt Beeson, I said this last week, looks like an all American, a first team all American when she's hitting out of the back row. Um, and, and is a pretty, pretty solid player in the front row too. She's going to pile up errors on you. Um, a little bit, but you know, her, her kill percentage is going to be really good. And I think I was interested to hear her say after the long beach match, um, in the, the post, the post game interview with the the TV broadcast that they changed her approach a little bit. They're bringing her uh, out from, from a little bit wider to, to create some better angles on her approach. Yes. We talked about this as well too, in our non print media, whatever. Uh, but I think they adjusted it before during the preseason to get her kind of more inside. She's, she's attacking more directly at the pin. That may lead a little bit more to get that line shot available. 
mm-hmm. but she said she likes coming in from the, a wider angle so she can see the ball coming to her and mm-hmm. the ball doesn't go over the top of her to her right hand mm-hmm. on that right pin. So it's coming more at her and she can attack. That's one it. of the difficulties, right, of having a right-hander play on yeah. the right is often you're you're watching the ball come over your left shoulder unless your body is open up. And what you really have to do is have a strong enough arm to hit line. And I think she does from that position. Um, and, and it's really more deceptive then because if your body's open up to the court, everyone thinks you're going to hit cross. And if you can do wrist away down the line, um, then, then that's a really hard, uh, hard ball to defend. So, so uh, Harper Murray and Merritt Beeson, we're going to talk about them plenty this year. Um, floor defense uh, is as good as it has ever been. I feel like um, since, since I've been around the program and I know that, you know, that's some pretty high praise when you had, Kenzie Maloney and Justine Wangaranta is back there when you're winning national championships. But um, Lexi Rodriguez and Lainey Choboy, you're not going to get tips down on them, and they're just going to get better as they play more together. Yeah, and Nebraska feels very fortunate to get Lainey Choboy on there after she was a late defection from Minnesota. She's really kind of added a new dimension, a new spark to that back row, and, he, and really complements what uh, Rodriguez does um, back there. And Rodriguez is looking like one of the best libreros in the nation. Um, who asked anybody in the Nebraska program, they're maybe a little bit biased, but mm-hmm. she's she's playing like she owns the back row and makes digs that most people would not be able to. So she's really anchored that back row and uh, doing well, doing good back there. That's what we like about Nebraska so far. That's what you can tell is good. There's still some questions I have out there that um, we want to get into, and I think some of those – you know, are going to be answered as as you get into the end of the non-conference season where Nebraska is going to play a couple ranked opponents and then into the Big Ten. Um, I, I don't I, – I, if you had asked me after Wednesday night if the battle for L2 was settled, I would have said yes, absolutely. Lindsey Krause's are in that spot. She's gotten the majority of the, the reps at that position this year. Um, she had a great match against Creighton on Wednesday, struggled a little bit against Long Beach State on Saturday. Allie Batenhorst comes in. And um, and has a really strong showing. So you've got two juniors who have been in this program now for three years, Lincoln, and neither one of them have really grabbed that L two position by the throat. What 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 are your thoughts on the the Krause Baton Horse battle there? It seems like Cook prefers Krause. If Krause can, which I thought she's done a little bit better to the last couple of matches, uh, she's mixed up her shots more. I mean, she really has a lot of power when she wants to. Uh, it goes cross court, but I think that can get her into trouble a little bit. The block sets up, and um, if they've done a, have a scouting report on her, they know that that's her shot that she goes to. But she's mixed in a mm-hmm. little bit more tips, a few more roll shots, just to keep them honest, um, going to a little high hands. So I, I think Krause is that is, is has the inside track too. But um, the Bain horse gives a different look at that outside hitter spot because she's six four. Um, she hits it at a higher spot too, and she's also changed up a little bit of her kind of swinging motion too to to hit it at that high uh, a higher spot too. Because I think the one thing I noticed about what Allie, when Allie Bain Horse is really good, it is almost with with the out of system passes, the bump passes, because they're coming in at a lot higher angle. They're not getting there as quick as maybe uh, a set pass, uh, and, and that allows her to hit it at a higher contact point, which opens up a lot more of her game coming in at six four. So. I would be interested to hear, yeah, John Cook or, or Jalen's thoughts on that is, do you do those two hitters succeed at different tempos? Because I remember, and I forget which match it was, it might have been the Kansas State match that I, I was watching on TV, you were down there for that, but I could kind of read her lips, she was, Lindsey Krause, during one swing she had put away, she was telling Harper Murray, like, we need to go fast. 
And with bait and horse, it seems like she might need a little bit slower tempo set, which is another challenge to give your setter when they're in there is to, to mix up your tempos to different hitters. I'd be interested to hear what their thoughts are on that. Cause I've got my suspicions, but w- would love to see that confirmed. Um, the other the wants up- to play faster a little bit too. So we'll see, yeah. maybe that leads a little bit more to what Krause's doing on the outside. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, we talked, we mentioned this a, a little while ago in one of the first rotations, but uh, Becca, Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Alex hitting 241 on the year. You'd love to see your middles up above 300 at least. And, you know, she, they, they need to unlock her offensively a little bit more. She's going to be the one that attacks more in front of the setter. And they do run slides with her, right? But it just doesn't, she's up there when Beeson is. So there's not a lot of room over there on the right pin uh, to, to run the slide. So usually that is your higher percentage play is when you're running quick middles, middle in front of the setter. It's what, um, uh, Nebraska did last year a lot with Caitlin Horde or tried to do, and for some reason could just never figure that out. Um, Alex hitting 241, they're, they're going to need to get her up a little bit higher if they're going to fully uh, unlock her potential. But defensively, you know, she's she's playing really well. I mean, I guess what we've been saying with these first two things is um, for, for Nebraska to maximize their potential on offense, there's a few more things that they need to figure out. Yeah, to be- I mean, Becca's still bringing the uh, defense. She's eighth in the nation right now in blocks per set. But uh, we talked a little bit about this too, and this is developing that connection, getting that, because when you're playing those uh, the sets in front of the setter, that, that, that's a lot more timing because you go, I mean, the, the ball's there on an instant uh, to get the time right with the jump. And if you're off, it's either too low or it's sailing over the uh, sailing over the defensive hands too. So that's kind of one thing they need to do. Also a big issue last night, especially early on, was service errors. Service errors piled up a lot against Long Beach State. They had, I think, six in the first set alone. Um, and Every time they do it, you can see just the energy and life come out of John Cook a little bit on the bench. Just, just a little slouch <laughs> there. So um, that's the one thing that they need to work on. They they got better as the match went on, but uh, giving away free points is never something you want to do. It's a fine line between being aggressive, but also the, the mm-hmm. not being sloppy and sending balls into the net, not even giving them a chance to get over. We we have on here mixing up lineups, and and I think Nebraska knows what their favorite lineup is. But they're also, um, you know, they they want to develop some depth. They want to get some new players in there. And when that happens, you know, it can change. Uh, as the kids say, it can change the vibe. It can change the chemistry on the court. Not that, you know, we're not talking about this from a, from a dramatic sense. But, you know, when you're used to setting one player one way and now all of a sudden you have to set uh, throw up a different set, it can throw things off. And see this happen, you know, when Nebraska went up 2-0 on Creighton, um, they they let off a little bit. Uh, Creighton got right back in the match. 
It happened a little bit against Long Beach State in in game three, too, when Long Beach hung with them in the third set. So just kind of having that killer instinct, um, putting teams away when it's time to put them away. I can't count how many times over the years I've seen Nebraska be up, you know, 24-19 in a set and then give up three straight points when they have set points and and finally hold on to win a, a deuce game or 25-22 or something. Just you're playing with fire when you do that. Put put teams away when you can put them away, and and that's something that the Huskers are still sort of learning how to do. Yeah, and that's dealing just with the, we talked a little bit about about the rhythm you're trying to develop too. I mean, when Maggie Mendelson came in, uh, both against Creighton and Long Beach in the third sets too, she's a different player than Becca Alec. Not not as explosive, but a little more powerful, a little bit more, a uh, little more strength up there on that block. So uh, figuring out how to involve her, I think she didn't. She maybe had one swing against Creighton in, in that set. She was and she got she got a little more action. She think she had two swings. She had one kill and two swings against Long Beach, but just getting her. At, Getting her caught up to speed and not doing that, and mm-hmm. Nebraska did a lot better with Batenhorst and that uh, against Long Beach uh, to get her involved in the offense, and she made made good use of her time. But when lineups changed, making sure you're adjusting on the fly and doing that. So um, that, that's the quarter wrap up. So uh, we'll check in probably another seven games out for the next stretch. See how Nebraska's doing if they've solved any more of these issues. But uh, let's move on to rotation four and take a look around the country. Uh, biggest news that we coming out of this. Uh, as a team we'll talk about a little bit later, too, Stanford. Again, Stanford's playing everyone tough, uh, but they took part in the Big Ten Pac-12 Challenge. They hosted it uh, along with Oregon came down. Uh, they played Minnesota and Ohio State. Um, so they just looked dominant. There's it was kind of a two, tale of two different stories, too, against uh, Minnesota. Katie Baird took over and dominated Minnesota, but then against Ohio State, Baird was off, but Kendall Kipp uh took took charge and really really powered them too so they continue to look like a really good team and really um like really one of the elite teams in the country this year yeah stanford's lone loss uh of the year was to to florida and they did not have uh katie baird their their outside hitter for that one who missed the first couple matches of the year they they beat minnesota in four um their sophomore outside hitter let's see i've got her down here um elia ruben gosh. Ellie Rubin, uh, yeah, yeah, took over against Minnesota with 17 kills. We're, we're going to dissect Stanford in, in just a little bit, so we don't need to do it all in this rotation. But Stanford is big. Stanford is deep. Stanford has outstanding attackers, and it's going to be the biggest challenge that Nebraska's had uh, this season. The other team that's just playing every ranked team, it seems like, is Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota beat Oregon in five before they turned around and lost to Stanford. Every team that the Gophers have played this year, except their opening match has been ranked. So uh, Keegan Cook is not exactly getting a bunch of cupcakes to, to start his career up in Minneapolis, but you know, that can, that can shape a team when you, when you get into uh, to big 10 play. So Minnesota's taken their lumps a little bit in the, in the non-conference, but Hey, if you can beat Oregon in five, that's a really good Oregon team that I think is going to challenge for the top of the pac 12. So um, they went one and one, which is a decent weekend. Yeah, and, and then the then last the, kind of, the last match part of that kind of quadrangular Oregon beat Ohio State. Uh, I don't know if it was, they meant to do this, but uh, former Buckeye Gabby Gonzalez, who transferred from Ohio State, is now playing for Oregon. Uh, she led the Ducks with 19 kills, uh, so just another good good performance from them. Ohio State taking on the chin there again, like like we said earlier, going through a little bit of growing pains, uh, and but hopefully this will be a good match for their young ones too. Uh, learn learn what it's like to play against top ranked competition early on. So, Wisconsin yeah. State undefeated. They're seven and zero. Didn't didn't play great teams this weekend. They were hosting a tournament. Where they swept both Arizona 
and Miami. Wisconsin's running a 6-2 this year, I believe, and Wisconsin is also going to remain very, very big as they uh, always are. They're, uh, they're still undefeated. Yeah, they're, they're, they ran a 6-2. They just have so many attackers that they're just kind of mix and match who's playing, uh, whether or not they're moving Julio Orzo to Libero, uh, getting T- Timmy Thomas a letter I get going, Sarah Frank. Like I said, they have a lot of weapons. We'll talk about them more so, but um, not really pushed that much too. Uh, Florida, one of the top, one of the top teams, they've kind of had some big wins in their resume this year. Uh, they won all three of their matches, but, but, uh, they were pushed by Sacramento State, uh, uh, to five. They had to go to five against Sacramento State. I mean, I watched a little bit. I think Sacramento State was playing K-State, I think it was, to, to open up the year. And they looked like one of their big hitters suffered a knee injury then. So I, I'll be honest, I have not followed Sacramento State that close this year. But, uh, <laughs> you haven't? No. How can I, we call this Volleyball State if you're not up sorry, on Sac State sorry, Volleyball? But, but what, I, I, looked, I looked at the box score of that match. This is one of those weird volleyball um, box scores where if you just looked at the numbers, it looked like Florida dominated the match because they had they hit about 100 points higher. They had more blocks. Um, but it was one of those silly volleyball things where Florida won two blowout sets, Sac State won two tight sets, and then Florida pretty much controlled game five. I think hit over 500 uh, in the fifth, but Florida stayed undefeated at seven and zero. The other team we're keeping an eye on uh, over the weekend, Louisville, coached by former Husker uh, Danny Busboom Kelly, remained undefeated, and they took it to Penn State uh, just this afternoon. Yeah, it was uh, another dominant performance by them. Uh, Anna DeBeer had ten kills, eleven digs, um, and it, it really just. I mean, and they're also their setter is uh, Wahoo native Ellie Glock, so another Nebraska tie. Uh, Are they running a six-two, or is Glock the only setter? Glock's the only one. They're running a six-one. She's a redshirt sophomore this year. Well, she uh, she started at what USC and then transferred there. I think that's right. Glock, yes. Glock, yeah, yeah. That's all right. Just take my word for it. I'm a co-host too. Uh, but yeah, I remember she started somewhere else and then uh, and then transferred to Louisville. So it's it's always good to see the Wahoo natives um, doing well. My interesting team of the week is Purdue. Um, we mentioned that their, their setters, a true freshman, they're five and two this year. They've been outscored in five of their seven matches. So just in total aggregate points, the other team has scored more points than Purdue has. Um, other seven matches, four of them have gone to five. Um, Purdue is just sort of our, I won't call them fluky, but they're, they're the out, the outlier team this year. Um, and so uh, they've, they've got some youngsters that are playing big roles, Lincoln for them. Yes, too. Chloe Chincone, uh, who with Harper Murray is kind of the one-two top recruit in the nation, too. She's really taken over that offense. I mean, they returned Big Ten freshman of the year, Eva Hudson, last year, too. But it's Chincone, the one that's been putting up the big numbers. I think she's had, I forget what it is, but she's been at double figures of kills, uh, hitting above 300. So she's really carrying the load for them and is really an explosive athlete. That's getting it done for Purdue. So, But they've not been able to put away their uh, opponents very easily too. Uh, my interesting team of the week, I will say, because it's Kentucky, we'll talk about them in the preview section too. So, uh, All right. Well, was- hey, you you need to carry us through rotation five too. We look at um, international volleyball. Um, Olympic qualifying starts on Saturday. Yes. I, I thought that Norseka maybe had an uh, Olympic qualifying bent to it too. Uh, USA, we mentioned last week, lost in in five in the, the championship match of the, the Norseka um, tournament. But now we've got an Olympic qualifying tournament that starts on Saturday. Yes, this is the actual Olympic qualifying too. That was kind of a warm up, get the team playing together. It's almost like a, pre, a preseason tournament, but 
Uh, there are three concurrent Olympic qualifying tournaments happening across the world, too. The United States will be playing in Poland in Group C. Uh, so what the United States needs to do is to qualify. They need to finish in the top two uh, teams out of, out of these group, this group. Um, there's eight different teams there. So finish the top two, we'll get them a spot in France and Paris in 2024. So uh, Poland will be there. They're the hosts. Uh, Italy comes in. They're one of the favorites. They're one of the top three ranked teams in the in the nation. Uh, Germany, Thailand. World, world, maybe? World, you're right. Net nation. Sorry, thank you. World. <laughs> uh, I'm used to national rankings. Uh, so Germany will be there. Thailand, uh, Colombia, Republic of Korea, and Slovenia. So Really, Italy will pose the biggest danger to the United mm-hmm. States. If they can beat Italy, they should be smooth sailing. But uh, Germany and Thailand will be the other big matches if the United States wants to make it to Paris. So that starts on Saturday. Uh, current Nebraska assistant coach Jordan Larson should be on that team, uh, as long as, as well as Justine Wong-Arantes and Kelsey Robinson-Cook uh, have been playing a lot of time with the national team, too. So look for them. Um, Is, there's like a last chance qualifier, too, right? Yes. If, if they do not qualify through this there is another um, qualifier that would happen, what, next summer, I think? Because I've been at these tournaments before when they, they played one in, in Lincoln and Omaha. Um, but I think, you know, if if the U.S. does not qualify at this tournament, they will have one last shot to qualify to defend their gold medal um, next summer, I'm pretty sure. Yes, yeah, next summer, yeah. Um, that's, yeah, June 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 uh, 2024 is kind of when that will happen, too. So I'll be in Switzerland next year, but... Uh, want to get it out of the way, want to get it uh, taken care of uh, early with this A-team and hopefully not have to worry about it. So uh, then the kind of in my international slash recruiting, the only kind of fun recruiting note that I saw this year, uh, this past week, uh, Skylar Pierce, who's an out the 2024 outside hitter commit, uh, hosted, they hosted uh, her team, Olathe Northwest, hosted Omaha Scut, who is, I think, who is the second-ranked team uh, in the entire state of Nebraska behind Papio South. Uh, and Olathe uh, defeated Scott in four sets. Sky Pierce had 11 kills and a th- on a 360 hitting percentage and was named MVP of the match. Or her, I think her defensive skills were, uh, were she got a lot. She had uh, nine digs as well too. So um, seeing some Nebraska playing against Nebraskans, I, I don't know. I don't know what the crowd was like, but I imagine they got a few more people out there to uh, watch a potential Husker out there. So uh, that, that'll close up rotation five. We'll keep it nice and brief because I know we want to talk about. What's coming up for Nebraska in Rotation 6? That's right. So the Huskers schedule, uh, the the easy, I mean, if you want to call them easy teams, the unranked portion of their schedule is pretty much done for a while. The Huskers' next next five teams are uh, are ranked. And, of course, uh, it starts on Tuesday night with the, the big matchup against Stanford. So uh, Stanford's lost one match on the season. We mentioned earlier it was at home to Florida. They have all of their weapons back now, and they have got a lot of them. If you're not familiar with Stanford, they're very big. Uh, it starts with with Kendall Kipp, their opposite hitter, who's six foot five. Caitlin Baird, their outside, one of their outsides is six three. You put those two together, they're as good as any pin hitters in the NCAA. And that's before we even get to the sophomore Elliot Rubin, who has seventeen kills in their win over Minnesota. All three of those players average at least three kills a set. Stanford, uh, I, I do not. Oh, actually, I do have it right here in front of me. Stanford, it's three twenty-seven on the year, which if it's not currently leading the country, it's right up there. Um, if you're hitting over three hundred as a team, you're pretty hard to stop. Stanford's hitting three twenty-seven, and we mentioned last week against Texas that I think they hit over four hundred in uh, in game over games two and three of their sweep of the Longhorns. So and even the when they lost, they to lost. Florida, 
they they lost to Florida and they still hit 333 in a in a three game sweep against Florida. So they even when they're I don't know how you hit 333 and get swept like that. As someone who's watched Nebraska for a long time, I I don't think that could ever happen because that means you're probably letting the other team hit 385 or you're committing like 22 service errors, Um, you know, which is possible. Florida, so that that was a big culprit. Well, Stanford, from what I remember from a couple of years ago, and, and Kevin Hamley's teams, they serve aggressively. That can mean that they pile up some service errors, and they're okay. Like Some teams just think that's the cost of doing business by, because we serve aggressively. We know we're going to put some in the net or put some long, and we're going to figure that we're going to land some of those, or you're going to be out of system when you try to play it. So Stanford hits 327. It's going to be you know the uh, irresistible force against the immovable object, putting them against Nebraska's block and floor defense. We mentioned Stanford's size a little bit ago. They also have uh, one of their middles, Sammy Francis, who Nebraska really tried to recruit um, back when when she was making her college choice. I remember that uh, six foot six, so she's going to be in the middle there. Uh, Nebraska. We talked about some of the the tendencies that Nebraska's attackers have. This would be this would be a night to fall in love with high hands and uh, really have those lessons from tool school pay off. Like you are going, you're not going to put balls down to the middle of Stanford's floor very easily. I don't think their libero is very good as well. She's a junior and um, this is going to be a tall test for Nebraska. No pun intended. Yes, too. And their offense runs very well. I mean, Kimmy Miners, their uh, setter, he averages 11.5 assists per set and really runs a good diverse offense. And uh, we've talked about, I mean, some, if one of the players has an off night, she has two or three other options of people who can terminate a very high clip. So they can go all over the, all over the front row and back row and kind of, um, kind of multitude of, of uh, options there too. But I think Nebraska's key for this is to really muck it up I and mean, make it a defensive slog, rely on that floor defense that we've talked about, get some hands on that. And I think, and one of the things that they talked about too, was you mentioned going high hands. I mean, it's a lot easier to do it against a big team against Long Beach state who's shorter. Um, they, they're blocking, get out of the way quicker. So using those high hands and the block. Yeah. I think this would also be a match where you might see um, Bergen Riley be told to be a little more aggressive at the net. If you can, kind of keep that Stanford block a little bit occupied um, by having them worry about the setter, then maybe you don't get uh, a double block out on the pins very often. It wouldn't surprise me if Nebraska can pass well, because you got to get that ball tied to the net to let your setter um, be aggressive offensively to see her try that um, a little bit. Stanford always seems to go on a barnstorming tour. It feels like at the beginning of the year, they schedule really tough. Um, they played, they're playing six top 15 teams in their non-conference and that's before they get into Pac-12 play, and I always forget this about Stanford. They're they're on the quarter system, and so their classes don't even start for another two weeks. Like, yeah. I always remember, it feels like Stanford starts classes after Halloween, and I never understand how this works, but somehow it it, it always does. Maybe they just go yeah. to school, like, year-round. And they've been they, – they take advantage of that. I mean, they've played games at Greeley, Colorado, and Fort Collins, and Austin, Texas, and Houston – uh, and then after they play Nebraska, they will go to Louisville, Kentucky and play the Cardinals, the number two Cardinals out there uh, the following Sunday as well, too. So they they make use of not being in, in school and really test themselves. And again, that's what Cam, Cam, Kevin Hamley likes to push his team, uh, learn what they're about and kind of build up that medal and get some big wins and help that RPI for seeding purposes. So Stanford's a team I've been able to keep up on um, a little bit this year. I'm a little bit less familiar with what Craig Skinner's got at Kentucky this year. Of course, uh, the Wildcats um, play the Huskers um, 
on the weekend after Nebraska plays Stanford, coached by former Husker assistant Craig Skinner. Um, they won the national championship, what, two or three years ago? They are a recent national champion, but um, a lot of new faces are on the Wildcats team this year. I remember, you know, it felt like Nebraska played, I think they played Kentucky twice in three seasons in the regional round down in Lexington, which got me a couple trips to uh, beautiful Lexington, Kentucky in the bluegrass state. But, um, you know, I think Kentucky is a little bit of a rebuilding year. They're two and four on the season and they've got their big, I I think it's called the Commonwealth cup, uh, the in-state match against Louisville, um, that Lexington and Louisville are only about an hour apart. Um, and that's going to be a big match that they've got their eye on in the midweek before they play Nebraska. This is part of a a little quadrangular too, where Nebraska Stanford play every year, Louisville, Kentucky play every year. And then they kind of, Stanford and Nebraska play one of the bluegrass state uh, teams every year. So this year they're, they're hosting Kentucky and next year they'll play at Louisville. So, uh, but Kentucky's really kind of, like you said, been an enigma. They are two and four this year. Uh, and that's with a match, a midweek match against Louisville too. And uh, they, they started the year strong, beat Western Kentucky, um, but then lost in four sets to Colorado state um, after beating, they went, they also went to Greeley, Colorado and beat Northern Colorado there. Uh, they played a home-and-home home series with Pitt, lost both of them. Um, then, again, rebound with a win over a ranked Houston team before falling in five sets to uh, Purdue on Saturday night, too. So they have they have a tough schedule, too. Um, but I, I think they're, they're going through a little bit of a rebuilding phase. They lost a lot. Uh, they, they still have some really, really good, uh, really good players, too. I think uh, Ella... Uh, Emma Emma Grome is there. Uh, Reagan Rutherford is where they're kind of their main attacker. She really kind of carries a load uh, offensively too. But it's um, but they just lack the explosiveness. But they they won they won the COVID year, the pandemic years when they won their mm-hmm. national championships too. So the spring of 2021 up up in CHI Omaha is when they won that. So it's been, it hasn't been that long. Maybe Texas so, in the final is that right? Uh, ooh, that, yes, yes. You would have been there. I was there. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure uh, they, they took down Texas in the final there, too. So Craig Skinner got his national championship. Texas got theirs the following year, and we will see who is going to be in it in 2023. But you do, you're you going to see um, Stanford's going to see a couple of the favorites for that um, coming up this week when they play Nebraska on Tuesday night. And we'll see if, like, Stanford can get a, a Pac-12 network stream to uh, to work for that or if we're going to all have to, like, oh, yeah. walk around with, like, coat hangers up on our roof to uh, plug into a router or something. And Because they, when they played this weekend, I, I read a lot of people online saying they couldn't even find a stream of this match. And for, you know, yeah. we we all just witnessed 92,000 people in a football stadium to watch Nebraska play uh, UNO last week and now we're yeah. going to be you know scrounging around the the dark web to to find a stream for for Nebraska. Well, we're in luck too I, I will say i tried to watch the minnesota match on saturday night after getting home from long beach and uh their technical difficulties however uh we're in luck this week because that match against stanford is on espn the mothership so oh wow uh, you All don't right. have to go looking for uh and it's still on clips. cable at least as far as this podcast taping is concerned, it might be all streaming by the time the match airs. But at well, least unless about... you have what, what what's the uh, what's the network that's currently in battle with? Uh... Oh, uh, Spectrum was Charter Communications, I think. Yeah, unless you have sorry to everyone who's got that. It's on ESPN. Also, Stanford, come on, man, stop playing on a basketball floor. Can you can you shell out for a TerraFlex court? Stanford still plays in Maples on their on their basketball court, their endowment is $36 billion. You're telling me you can't shell out for a TerraFlex court when, like, 
Iowa and Indiana can get some. Come on. Nebraska what are we doing two, here? Probably send one of their spare ones. Yeah, they should send like the black court, the black shirts court out to Stanford and see uh if if Kevin uh Hambly would do that. But it's just like it makes you look like a poverty program and we know you're not because we know what your tuition is and we know what your endowment is. You yeah, know, I, I really just think that the other yeah, you're on you're the Mount Rushmore of college volleyball. Like have somebody donate some money specifically for this. Um I read something the other day that Stanford, you know, they're a, they're a small private school, so their student body isn't that big. One in seven Stanford students is a student athlete because mm-hmm. they offer so many varsity sports. I mean, That's you know, like, they win you, the Directors' Cup every year. Hey, like unicycling is an is a sport at Stanford, or like any of the Olympic sports are um, are, are are on the farm. You can get a scholarship for, it. but uh, yeah, come on, Stanford, like level up. I will your say, surface. when Nebraska played out there two years ago, or the last time they were played out there. Uh, was the only time I've ever seen Nebraska. They wore the long, uh, long pants. They wear, I don't know if those are yoga pants or athletic pants, what they are, but it's the only time I've seen them because I talked to some players out that because TerraFlex is very forgiving. It's very easy to slide on that because it's kind of a slick, soft surface. But when you're playing on basketball courts too, I mean, it, there's a lot less give to it. So mm. they wore, uh, they wore the long pants to, uh, to help them with kind of slide and more kind of natural court movement. Well, they they lost and they lost that match. So Nebraska has never worn the long pants for a volleyball match since. Well, we'll be back next week to to recap that and also the, the Nebraska Kentucky match. Thanks for getting, joining us again on Volleyball State. You can find us online on Twitter at Volleyball Pod. Uh, you can email the show Volleyball State at Gmail dot com. Um, you can find me online. I'm Jeff. You can find me at by Jeff Sheldon and Lincoln. We can find you on Twitter at Lincoln underscore VB, which I assume stands for volleyball. And thanks again for uh, to Jack Mitchell and the podcast house um, media for giving us a home and giving us a space to, to talk about volleyball. We want to talk about the things that you want to talk about. So drop us a line and let us know what are the burning questions you have within college, high school, international volleyball. And when we run out of ideas, we'll start using yours. Well, we're glad to hear. Hopefully you enjoy our kind of foray into the podcasting world. Thanks for listening. Uh, Again, I'm Lincoln Arneal. I'm Jeff Sheldon. Thanks so much. This is Volleyball State.